Imagine surrounding yourself with incredible women, women who've overcome challenges, they've rebounded after failures and disappointments, and women who are not afraid to shine their brilliance to make a mark in the world. These women support other like-minded women because they know there is plenty of opportunity for everyone and that together we really can make a difference, grow our businesses while have fun along the way. This is what Women in Leadership Podcast is all about. Welcome. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Grab a cover of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. Welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast. Now, my guest today says women face a powerful barrier that we must break through to make it into bigger leadership roles. But guess what? It is not a glass ceiling. It is the mirrored door. Now, joining me to talk more about that is Alan Tafe. She is a clinical associate professor at the Kellogg School of Management, and she teaches personal leadership insights, and she's also the director of the Women's Leadership Program. She has spent 20 five years with Fortune 500 companies holding the top brand management posts at divisions such as, and you'll recognize these companies, PepsiCo, Royal Caribbean, and Whirlpool Corporation. Now, she also serves as an independent board director for two public and one private company boards, where she runs a leadership advisory consulting as well. She does speaking, coaching, uh, and she's also a TEDx speaker. She has so many insights to share around leadership, careers, and advancing women, as well as inclusion through her writing and speaking in media, such as Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Business Insider, Washington Post, Bloomberg, and Calif. Insight. And we have the privilege and honor of spending some time with you today on the show. Now, specifically on the show, Alan's going to share five strategies that help women succeed, but also unintentionally sideline them. Wonder what they are. She's going to talk about how childhood expectations help women succeed academically, but they can carry self-judgment and hesitation later. How do we deal with that? And she's also going to talk about why women struggle to set boundaries in the workplace and how to overcome people-pleasing behaviors in our professional and personal life. I'm sure we can all agree with that as well. Welcome, Alan. Hello, Anne-Marie. So glad to be here with you. Oh, absolutely. We've got lots to unpack today. But before we do, the mirror door I mentioned in the opening, a quote that you say, it's not a glass ceiling that we need to break through. It's the mirror door. Tell us a little bit. What's the mirror door? Sure. So the mirror door is this, this obstacle that many women face and encounter in our careers where we face opportunity, but reflect inward and think we're not ready or we're not worthy to move forward, whether that's raising our hand in a classroom or going for the next job. And we don't realize that we are more ready uh, than we think and and busy ourselves with a lot of activities that uh, don't always move us or propel us forward. I'm sure as you were sharing that um, analogy, we all can agree in one way or another through our lives, our professional or even personal lives, uh, we have had instances where that's happened. So let's help us unpack what are these five strategies that help women succeed but also can unintentionally sideline them. Let's talk about the first strategy. 
Sure. So the per the first one is uh, preparing to perfection. And this is very powerful. It, it helps us to be successful. We are become a go-to person. We deliver excellence. We're on time. We And we do it so frequently with a ton of preparation. And so what happens is it becomes part of our identity. We've delivered excellence, perfection. And, and what happens is that as expectations rise, we, we face a pitfall internally where we feel stressed when we have to move forward on something without all that preparation. And there's also a perceptual pitfall in that others can see us as that person we want on the team, but not leading the team. We can be positioned as the worker bee who does all this analysis, all this preparation, but can't move forward to make decisions with less than perfect information and has struggles to delegate more fully and move forward and take risks because we get so tied up in this identity that we really fear, I, you know, my students will say FOMO, fear of, mess, of missing out. And I think there's a strong FOMU, fear of messing up, that oh, is spe yes. specifically tied to someone who is really attached to perfection and the preparation it takes to deliver that. Yeah. And I'm sure the other four strategies that you'll share, it sounds as if there is an aspect of strength there. We need to find a balance. And when we overplay that strength, like it being such a driving aspect of if it's not perfect, if it's not excellent, how can I release it or, or, or share it? If when we overplay that, it can inhibit us. So what would you say then to someone who can resonate with that? Said, so, you know, I do have an issue with that. How do I put some parameters in place to know that it is good enough um, to be released and to be shared, um, but that I'm not getting stuck in that perfection, the excellence mode? What insights can you share here? Yeah, so the, the pivot that we really need to make is to take some small steps to differentiate where we place our energy. And so often this requires asking for help or asking for guidance from our managers uh, or, or whoever we're delivering to. So identifying what's the risk about the work that we're doing? What are the, the things that really need that A plus top delivery? And what things like, where can I come in with a rough draft? Hmm. And, and that will be hard to do the rough draft but doing more of that, it's a discipline of differentiating where we want to, how we prioritize and where we want to place our energy. And it's also as we understand and ask how, how are the expectations changing that we are called as leaders to be able to make decisions faster with less than, with less information. We got to trust that we know a lot more about the construct and, and can make the best decision with the information that was available and be able to live with that, which is, can yeah. be hard when we're driven by perfection. Yeah, that makes so much sense because there's going to be some aspects that you do need to know. And those are the key things that you may need to focus on. But all the other things, as you say, I mean, if they're available and you've got them at hand, um, sure, they can support, but they're not critical. 
Um, and I think sometimes, as you say, unless we have that understanding around, well, what do what really do I need to focus on and have in place to then be able to, to share and make a decision and what can I continue to make a decision on and know that that's not going to be so critical that it may stop a project or, or something from happening? I like that. And it is something, I guess, that when you've spoken to people, and, I, and I'm sure we can all relate to this a little, getting to that or a little bit, getting to that point can take effort, can't it? It yes. can really take effort. It's <laughs> a discipline. Going. I mean, and it's a process. You know, yes. it, it's really about how am I making progress versus delivering perfection? Because we just can never be perfect in everything. And, and we can't apply that that high, sky high expectation to ourselves because it can also be really stressful. Yes. So there's a personal. And, you know, when we look too. at this through the lens of some of the more what we might think of simpler things, like if you're doing a presentation and no matter how often you rehearse that thing, you can look back and watch yourself. And I bet you, you could pick five things up. I should have said this. I could have done that better. But you know what? It's a process of continual um, development and uh, not being so critical on ourselves because, as you say, we can keep ourselves stuck and if it's noticed by others uh, in the team, then that may be why we're not being put forward our name. Okay, so that was strategy one. What's another one we need to be mindful of? Yeah, the, the next one is eagerly pleasing. And, you know, the power on this one is being other-oriented where you can read the team, read the room, be a bit of the peacemaker or even the glue that holds a team together. So, these, this is really being adept at great people management, uh, people connection, connection builders. Um, so it's really powerful. You, you want people who are like this on the team. The risk is when it's out of balance. So think of a seesaw if you're at the bottom. And, and what happens is uh, for the individual, at times you can feel like, wait, what about me? What about my needs? or my point of view, I'm always sort of giving in. And, and the perceptual risk is seen, you can be seen as someone who can't make tough decisions or make calls on things that not everyone's happy with, or you can't face conflicts or set boundaries. Um, so it, it can be like an underlying sort of anger at, at this, this sense of what about me, but you can also be perceived as too soft when you really have this amazing talent of gathering people and motivating people too. So the, the real, you know, pivot in this one is to, again, it's discipline and a process and, and tapping into the care you have for other people mm -hmm. to be able to also trust in the relationships that you have, which are usually really strong mm -hmm. and they can withstand that disagreement or conflict and you got to work on how do you communicate that. I have things in the, I have a whole chapter of each one of these in the book, but but it's it's about how do you set boundaries in the smallest way possible, yeah. where you set the boundary, you um, empathize, which comes with this this sort of behavior as well. You empathize with whatever the give up is for the other person, and then you move into collaborating with how they'll get the thing done. Mm -hmm. um, so. There's different steps we can take, but it, it's about tapping into our courage to 
raise our point of view too. And and so often um, people overthink and ruminate over what will happen to these relationships if we express displeasure, disagreement, conflict, and, and really the best relationships are the relationships we wanna have can withstand that. If not, do you know, are we really in a place where we want to be where we can yeah. express what's really going on. Yeah, that's so important. Uh, and I recall some situations where uh, women, and, and this is also too, I mean, there's some men, I, I've done the MBTI and um, there's often the thinkers and then there's the feelers, you know, and often women have the feelers. And so the men are the thinkers, you know, the, well, this is the decision we have to make and, and you know, that's it. When it comes to redundancies and sharing information with people, I mean, how many women struggled because it was like, what are their families going to do? And this is going to impact, as we all would, you know, do. But as you said, there are things that we can do as and approach the relationship that um, doesn't have us overgiving and and feeling because that emotion we can bring with us, can't we? If we're worried not only about the situation, how someone's going to react, but over everybody in that. I mean, that's a heavy weight for us, you know, to carry in the workplace or even if it's your own business, if you're worried so often about what impact it's going to have on your team to the point where it's debilitating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think if if this is something that resonates for your your audience, you know, I would say tap into all that care that you have to use it as you face difficult decisions, use it to get input up front. And then when you decide for the good of the whole or the good of the business, whatever the goals are, be transparent. There's care in being transparent about here's what I decided and here's why. And that enables you, like these are people who are very much liked, but it also adds a layer of being respected too. That is really so important as we build our careers. I love that you've distinguished that. There's a difference, isn't there, between being yeah. liked and respected. And even if someone may not necessarily enjoy or want to hear what you have to share, uh, if there's respect there, people can move forward if there's the right framework around that. And I would much rather have the respect than being liked because, you know, yeah. the, the like factor could change day by day depending on what, what's happening. And uh, I like that. What's I, love, I love what you said there, yeah. like choose respect over being liked. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, what's number three? What's the third strategy? Yeah. So the next one is fitting the mold. And um, this is about reading the culture and seeing what success looks like and adapting to it. So it's very powerful. You, you can fit in quickly. Um, you can feel accepted. And it, the intention is to feel like you belong. But if you're fitting in in a way that uh, is not honoring who you are, or you're hiding uh, some of yourself, you can, you can really start to feel like you don't belong. And it, what this can do is it can see doubt of, did they really hire the real me? And it's also a, a give up for the organization because they're not getting the real you. They're not getting your real opinions here. And so this is a, you know, a tricky one. I, I am wearing blue tonight, but I so frequently in my presentations wear red because I mm. tell a story of where I was told to wear navy. 
And, uh, you know, I, I don't look great in Navy. Um, I am fair skinned, dark, dark haired. Um, and while that's kind of a thing of the past, I don't think people are, are telling others to, to not wear a bright color these days. Mm -hmm. There are other aspects of our identities that people question, can I show myself? Um, I, I have worked with a, a black woman who was interned at a company. Um, and when she was considering going back, she was thinking about, can I wear my natural hair? There are mm -hmm. other aspects of our identity, whether it's visible or not, that we're trying to figure out, can I, can I be my real self here? Yeah. And, and, you know, this is one really the, the pivot is to consider what are you up for? What's your comfort level in going against the grain? If, if it is going against the grain or the culture um, of a company, or do you want to look elsewhere? Mm -hmm. And it, it, people are at different times in their life. There have been times where I have joined a board and I'm the only woman and I'm up for that. And I've gone in and changed the diversity within the board, but there's other times where uh, I've seen an opportunity and I think, you know what, I, I don't want to go do that. I don't, you know, it's an uphill battle for me. And mm -hmm. so there's a real individual uh, figuring out where, where are you? Where's this culture? Is it movable? And, you know, we really want to expand the mold or break the mold mm -hmm. to have more people be able to thrive in organizations um, where we get that full diversity of thought and experience that, you know, helps companies become more innovative and deliver better results as well. Yeah, that is so true. And I'm so glad that you shared that. Uh, when I worked in the career industry for many years, whenever I was doing interview coaching with a, a job seeker, and I worked with a lot of uh, C-suite, I always reminded them you know, when you go for an interview, you are interviewing the organisation as much as they are interviewing you because if you have to change your core values and and, and often it's those core values that and, and your skills and all of those things that make you you that are so unique and uncopyable by anyone else, for an organisation to want you to hide that will often mean the best of you is not able to show up. And who wants to work in an organisation where you cannot be the best of yourself, you know? And sometimes it's the leader who doesn't. I've had clients who have actually hidden the gifting inside them because it uh, didn't. It it, it uh, made the leader look bad because they, you know, their their staff were highly skilled. Wouldn't you, as a leader, want to have the best team around you because everybody, you know, is best working together at at their best? And so that's that's so true. And I think often as women. We overcompensate for the needs and expectations of others. And I've even had it myself where I've, who actually am I and, and what do I think and feel? Do I enjoy doing this? Or So and I think often as women, it's good to take a step back and say, am I compromising too much, you know? Absolutely. I yeah. love that. And you know what? There's other organisations and I've had interviews with women Alan, who have not found an organisation and they've got such a wealth of knowledge and expertise, they've started their own business, their own company, you know, because <laughs> I'm sure that there are others yeah. who are out there thinking there's got to be a better way. Maybe that better way is is on your shoulders to, to start something and, yeah. and uh, create the environment that you wish other organisations had create that in your own organization and I bet you will have an incredible team of people who will step up and say, yep, Absolutely. we want to work for you. Yeah. 
And I think that's really common. If I can't find it elsewhere, I'm going to go create it, which is another great path. Yeah. Something else that I want to share just in this instance too, because I have had a conversation with a number of people where you may have someone who does not necessarily want to open up their own business, but they have what we would call an entrepreneur ability. And that is that within an organization to have the ability to be innovative and share ideas, they it's a different kind of skill set organizations you want to have entrepreneurs or an entrepreneur in in various you know what I'm talking about don't create such a structure that will stifle their skills and ability because they will leave and you really can lose an incredible component of a team that can really continue to position your business um, you know at the forefront when it comes to innovation change and implementation of better you know uh, systems and or whatever it may be so just thought I'd share that too. Okay, so that was number three, I think. Number two, what's the second strategy? Um, so the, the fourth strategy is, is working pedal to the metal. And this is that working tirelessly, super results-oriented, running right into, uh, you know, the focus on deliverables, on execution. And, uh, you know, that's a person who gets a ton done. Uh, yeah. So really valuable to the organization in particular on something that, you know, has not been done before or is facing a lot of obstacles. This is the person that, you know, we want, you know, leading that team. The, mm. the risk with it, there's, there's sort of a twofold risk with this. And, you know, that one of them is that we can be charging so far ahead that we can leave our team in the dust. Mm-hmm. And um, this is also where sometimes biases come up with people are expecting, we're ingrained to, to see women and expect them to be warm and men to be that results-oriented competence. Mm-hmm. And we need to do both clearly in, the, in, um, you know, in our careers. But when someone, many times when women are so focused on the results first up, they get a backlash of like looking for this other, uh, you know, like, wait, what about all the team spirit kind of thing? And so it's really important for women to sort of recognize, am I, is this something that resonates with me? And if I share with the team who I am and why I'm motivated to push forward like this. And, and it also takes management to sometimes call out reactions that wouldn't happen for a man too. Uh, the, the second part of this one, the pitfall of this can at times also be burnout. So it's sort of charging so far ahead that this can be that common thing of like after a big project, someone gets sick, you know, it, they, they are so charging forward. So, in, you know, the, the pivots here in both cases are to pause and it might be pause for self-care um, to to let other people take on more, um, mm-hmm. to delegate more, but it also can be a pause to reconnect with your team and do a bit of an offset where, you know, I, I use an example of, of a professor I work with who is totally, you know, driven, focused on the results. And she opens up her class by sharing that I'm going to be the toughest professor that you have here. And the reason why is because I'm going to make you better than this than anyone you're going to work with after you graduate. 
And and you know what? That that gets her out of being considered as like, who is she to do this? You know. Um, and so it, it's a great way to sort of share what are you motivated by? What's your intention here? And and it stops a lot of judgment that comes with a woman charging ahead who might yes. be called bossy or another B word uh, that we don't want to hear. And so it's really important that self-awareness, but also getting some feedback and getting getting a mentor uh, as well to sort of help you to see if you've gone ahead of your team. Because as leaders, we need to create followers as well. Mm. It's and, so and true. And followers at our times as well. Yeah, that's such a great insight. I remember um, hearing a story about a woman leader who wanted the best for her team. So what she used to do was close the door and do all of the problem solving and the challenge handling behind a closed door because she did not want to um, have that inhibit her team. And so feedback was when, you know, the team was asked to, to feedback about her leadership style, she was horrified to hear that they felt that she was unapproachable because she was often behind a closed door. And it wasn't till she actually explained to them, oh, I do that because I'm often putting out fires and, and handling. That was just part of her role, you know, her role. And I did not want that that to inhibit into your environment. And so when they understood that, it was like, oh, it's it's amazing the perceptions that go around. And when you do have a little bit of that um, vulnerability and sharing all around the team, people have a different appreciation and they're not seeing it through a misinformed lens, if you will. Yeah, that's such a great example because so often our intention does not equal the impact we're having. So it is important to get feedback or, or have that go-to person who can let us know how we're doing or however she got that feedback and good good for her in that situation that she took it in. Um, but but there is a, the more we share our why uh, behind what we, how we approach things, it, it really helps others to follow our lead and to also say, hey, in that case, I want I want to help out and, and learn how to problem solve as well. And it yeah. likely could lessen the workload too for someone who's pedal to the metal. Yeah, I, it, and I, I hear of a, a, I can think of a humorous story. I mean, sometimes you see someone, the expression on their face. And I know that when I'm thinking, I often have this, you know, like look on my face and some of them I think, oh, you know, she's not agreeing with me or something like that. I said, no, I'm just thinking. So often we can look, are they looking really, you know, horrid at, at me? And they may be thinking, did I leave the jug home at home? You just don't know, do you? And it, just it, it, to be mindful about what we yeah. think about what's going on, ask, you know, have that open conversation with whether you're the leader or a team member because there may be some, um, some insights and some laughter when we realize what someone's why is and they're not so driven and, and and so forth, but rather they want the best for the entire team. It makes such a difference. All right. I think we've got one left, one of the five yeah. strategies left. Yeah. So the, the last one is patiently performing. And, and this is awaiting to be noticed and all of our hard work will pay off when they notice and finally promote us. Um, and, and, you know, the, the good thing is we're not breathing down the neck of our boss to get promoted. So it's a good benefit for the boss. But the uh, the challenge is that the boss is busy, may not know what all we have accomplished and may consider us to be less ambitious 
because other people, especially the guys, are likely in there saying, I want to get promoted or I want to get this project or whatever is sort of the thing that other people, you know, go after. So, you know, so often in this, and it, it I think is particularly true for women, there's a sense that this self-promotion is somehow icky or, you know, feels uh, like, like a negative thing. And uh, we really have to reframe this into this is normal career planning. Mm -hmm. And we've got to tap in again to like, what are our goals and how do we show a sign to our, uh, to our bosses or whatever decision makers are out there for our career? Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, we, we are going to lose out. Um, that it, it does, I, I'm not saying go in and constantly ask for a promotion, but it's important to, uh, to make sure we're communicating what do we want in our career, to get feedback on how we're tracking, uh, and also to share what we're accomplishing, where we can add value, uh, and, and what kinds of things we might be interested in too. Yeah, most organizations, I would imagine, do have an opportunity for feedback. And that's a wonderful opportunity to be able to discuss, um, as you've said, where are some of the projects or where are some of the areas that you would like to grow towards. And often, if we're not clear on that ourselves, how are we able to communicate that with our leadership so that they know, oh, well, this particular person wants to go here. There may be opportunities for learning and development. But what you've just said in another area, which I think a lot of people don't do, or they didn't when I was in the career industry, is having your updated document of successes and achievements, whether you were in involved, a team was involved, have that you know, what was happening, what contribution, you know, you and a part of the team and what was the result for the organisation. I mean, that's going to be added to your resume anyway, but have the opportunity to be able to discuss it and say, hey, as a team, you know, we need to celebrate this or this is just so wonderful over the last quarter or two quarters, um, reflecting back on that and being able to have discussions and have that awareness for your team as well as your leaders, I think is so, so important. Now, we're nearly at, uh, at completion. I know we want to talk about uh, childhood expectations, as you say, help people academically in their succeeding, but sometimes they can also carry self-judgment and hesitation later. How do we best position ourselves so that this does not happen, Alan? Yeah, so I, I think that it's thinking through what, what were the messages that we learned growing up about relationships, about success, and so often those messages turn into beliefs that are still with us today. So for example, the research would say that girls, most often we're socialized with our same gender and girls learn cooperation and don't act superior. Uh, the, you know, the tall poppy syndrome uh, kind of thing and, and get along and know how to build connections. So things that, that help us and also help teachers in a classroom. So, you know, it gives us a lot of approval and acceptance in the classroom. And we learn we can do hard work and get the grades. Mm -hmm. Boys frequently learn a, a more of a competitive way of interacting with each other and, and in, um, you know, kind of upping each other and challenging each other before we're ready. And so what, while that must be hard for a boy growing up, to be, you know, thrown into challenges, they learn 
to move forward into something when they don't know they can do it. Girls rely and learn that they need to be certain before moving forward. Yeah. And it helps in school, but then in the workplace, there's lots of gray area. And I think the guys, you know, still have that. They, they've built that muscle around trying to go for something before they're ready. You know, there's yeah. classic research of, of <laughs> uh, you know, men going for jobs with six of the 10 criteria and women waiting for all 10. Um, and, and I think that's rooted in some of the things we learn early on. And so I guess I would suggest think about what we learn and does it still, does it help us yeah. or does it hurt us? Yeah. Is it helping you or hindering you? I had to, I had to smile and chuckle in the inside when you talked about, you know, kind of men being competitive. Um, my husband and I go to our daughter, who's a personal trainer, it's twice a week. And yesterday we were lifting weights and he was just, he just said, oh, I'm just doing 10. And then he saw me and he picked the weights <laughs> up and he did another two. He said, I'm not going to have her, um, you know, do two more than me. And then I said, well, I'm glad you told me because I was only going to do 10 too. So I make sure I would do 12. I probably should have done four and said, well, I did two more. But it's that competitive nature. You just see it, you know, I... Um, just, just see, but, uh, and again, the way that you've just shared that is, are we, is it inhibiting us? Is something hurting us? And, you know, through that belief or is, is it supporting us? And when we start to look at that with curiosity, it, it sure will, will identify some things that we think, mm, maybe I need to change that a little bit. So. Yeah. It really sets us up at, at the mirror door. So we have an opportunity and, we think, I'm not certain I can do this. And, you know, any new thing, we are not certain that we can do it. And I'm certain, not certain we can do it perfectly with perfect relationships and all of that. Uh, and so we really do need to take a page out of um, our male colleagues, uh, you know, book uh, of going forward, knowing that we have the potential to do this well. Yeah. We don't already you know, what, know how to do it. In some instances, you might try and learn and do something. You think, you know what, I've learned a bit more. I've tried my hand at it. You know what, they can have that or that person can have that. Yeah, I'm maybe. just not built that way, you know. So often we, um, yeah, we forget that as well. Let's talk about why women struggle to set boundaries in the workplace. We've talked a little bit about that, wanting to please other people. How can we overcome those people-pleasing behaviours? What are some things, insights and maybe some steps to take to, to enable us not to get caught up in this? Yeah, I, I think going back to, you know, what's at stake here, you know, in our, what's our um, at stake in our careers, um, going back to, you know, what are your goals? And if, if you want to advance into leadership or, you know, go further in your career, part of that is um, making choices and decisions that are not going to please everyone. And it's, I go back to that. It's sort of like, if we have an identity of being liked, how do we stack on to that? We want to also be respected yeah. um, because it's, it's hard when it's in our identity and when we have been liked and, you know, for women, especially, I think there's, there's sort of an approval and acceptance and any learning, you know, having been brought up to be a good girl, uh, some of the steps of leadership can feel like they're going to damage our, our, you know, our standing or how others perceive us. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard. It's taking small steps for the sake of that career that we want. 
and for the sake of, of changing the way for other women. So mm -hmm. we're not spending all this energy trying to play nice or trying to think through how do we have to, you know, like, I don't think the guys are, are having to think through some of this. They have their own challenges, yeah. but, um, you know, there, there is a, if they're going to not like me because I made a good decision for the business, um, how do we not let that weigh on us? Because that might be a bit more of the workplace issue or, or the other people, um, if that's how they're going to operate. Yeah. And I would imagine that if someone is in an environment such as that, there are going to be other people who are in a similar situation. You know, they're also experiencing that maybe in a different way, but that, yeah, that underlying unspoken thing, if, if you will, um, is happening that is causing that. And so often as women, we have to have the courage to be able to speak out, you know, speak up about it. Um, and, you know, you, you you kind of think, well, if I speak up and then everyone else is going to kind of know, yes, but I bet you as soon as you start to speak out, others will come to you. That's the same even in, in believe it or not, even with my husband, um, when in one of his workplaces, they would often, even when they were having Zoom meetings, they would go around the room, does anyone have any questions? And no one would say anything. And my husband would say, well, you know, actually, because he's always, you know, I'm just going to say it as it is, a spade is a spade. Yeah. And then other people would, you know, he would see comments or they would ring him. I'm glad you said that. I wanted to say something, but I was, you know, too hesitant. Got to speak up, you know, and I bet you there are other people there that are thinking, oh, yes, I'm glad you stood up and spoke for me. And you know Absolutely. what? If the organisation um, continues to not listen, maybe, as you said in, in an earlier um, aspect, maybe that's not the best place for you to, to be. So uh, we have talked about so many different insights and I know that we've just scratched the surface, Alan. So tell us a little bit more about how people can get in contact with you. What is the best way? Sure. So I am very active on LinkedIn. My book, The Mirror Door, Break Through the Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place is available where, uh, likely wherever you buy books. Um, and um, my website is ellentafe.com. Uh, so those are those are three ways to get a hold of me. I'm also on the Kellogg School of Management website as well. So Fantastic. thank you so much. Yeah. All of those ways. And of course, we're streaming live across a lot of different platforms, including LinkedIn. So um, yeah, just connect with Alan uh, over there or over on her website. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Anne-Marie. I really enjoyed our conversation. So did I. So did I. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Anne-Marie. Before I go, are you a coach or a consultant who feels like the world's best kept secret? Your experience is vast, yet secretly you're frustrated because despite all of your hard work, you're just not getting the visibility, the recognition or new clients you'd hope for and you don't know why. I've created a free resource that'll help you build visibility, generate leads and enroll dream clients with ease because you're seen as a trusted authority, even in a crowded marketplace. And you've positioned yourself as the choice versus just a choice for your dream client. To get started, go to annemariecross.com forward slash gift. That's annemariecross.com forward slash gift. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.